Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Live It Well podcast. We are your hosts, Chris and Jenny Gravy. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are so glad that you're here with us. Each week, we invite authors, mentors, friends of ours who have an inspiring message, who are living their life well. And so our goal is to learn and grow, and we want to invite you to do the exact same thing with us. So hope you're ready. Let's dive right in. Welcome back to another episode, friends. We are so excited to be back with you today. We hope you're doing well and just want to especially acknowledge all of our friends in Texas who just endured the great snowstorm of 2021. We love you guys. And honestly, it was so hard to hear the updates every day of what was happening and just feel so helpless to do anything to help our friends. But we are so glad it's over and that the sun is finally back where it belongs in the great skies of Texas. For any Anyone interested, we'll post a few ways to help out our friends in Texas um, in the show notes today so you can check those out. So on today's episode, we are really thrilled to introduce you to someone who's really made a huge impact in our city. Talk about long obedience in the same direction. She's been a licensed counselor here in Nashville for over 25 years. She's written 12 books helping parents and kids navigate all the ups and downs of life. And we're talking about Sissy Goff. Even before we moved to Nashville, we had people saying, oh, you're moving to Nashville? You have to meet Sissy Goff. You have to have her on the show. So it's been a long time coming. And after you hear today's conversation, I think you'll understand why everyone was singing her praises. She is so wonderful. She offers so much wisdom and guidance in today's episode on overcoming stress and anxiety, something we might be familiar with these last two years. She specifically talks about how we can help our kids navigate the stress and anxiety that they're being hit with. One of the things that I have kids do a lot of times is name their worry. With little ones, I have them call it the worry monster. With older ones, I call it the worry whisperer in the brave book because that's what it feels like it does. And for any of us, the voice we have in our head, we interpret as truth. And kids especially, and when we can separate it out, it takes away some of the power. So what's the worry monster been telling you lately? You know, what's worry whisperer saying to you? And then they can verbalize it and you can help them learn to talk back to it. Guys, this was such a rich conversation. We can't wait to share it with you. We hope you're doing well, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. All right. Well, Sissy, welcome to the show. We're glad you're here. Thank you. I'm so honored to be with you guys. Yeah, you know, um, you have made quite an impact on this town we live in, Nashville. You've been a counselor (laughs) for 30 years, and you've really been helping people when it comes to anxiety and specifically helping kids and families that are dealing with stress. But before we get into all that, uh, we like know a lot of the same people. And everyone's <laughs> we do. Like, do we you have know so many mutual friends. <laughs> yeah. So we're so glad to finally make it happen. Everybody that we've met in this town is like, you have to have Sissy on. She's so, oh, so that's so We're good. so glad you're here with us. Well, me too. And I'm glad y'all are in this town. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great place to be. It's a white winter, white wonderland today as we <laughs> sit here in this town. Not usually happening here in the <laughs> Tennessee South. <laughs> No, which means all your little people are at home. Yes, yes. Yes, they are. We're so. all prayerful that they will stay <laughs> on the other parents. side of those doors, but you never know. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Surprise little gravy kid running in. Okay, well, before we jump into this brand new project you've done, which I'm very excited to talk about, um, like I said, you've been impacting people's lives through counseling for 30 or so years. I want to know, before we dive in, how did you get into counseling? What, what's the story there? Why did you pick that profession? You know, I mean, I think probably the bottom line is I became what I wish I'd had in my life. And 
I'm older than you all. But when I was growing up, really, if people were in counseling, they didn't talk about it. We didn't hear about it. We didn't know. I mean, I, I can remember even in college, I was in a sorority at the University of Arkansas. And I think three girls that I remember specifically disappeared for a semester and came back and no one ever talked about where they were. You know, which I'm sure they had eating disorders or anxiety or something was going on, but no one even acknowledged it. And so I think I just wish so much I had known how to express and work through things back then growing up. I knew I wanted to work with kids for a long time, but I didn't even know counseling other than I'll tell you the first counselor I was ever introduced to. This this ages me, except I think she's still (laughs) around. This is terrible. Days of Our Lives, Marlena. That's she awesome. was like the first child psychologist I ever heard of. And so I think I thought at the time, like, that would be so cool. My dad was in the Holiday Inn business back when Holiday Inns were huge. And oh, yeah. he wanted me to do that. But that was not really, I don't think that was what God had designed for my life. So wait, very so did you, hold on. We have to stop the presses for a second. <laughs> okay. I grew up in Indiana. There was like a holiday in there that had like a holodome or something. There was yeah, like yeah, those were like, so cool. Did you like go to those with your dad? Or how, what was the story there? You know, we did, everywhere we traveled, we stayed in a Holiday Inn. Yes, you amazing. were the commercial before the commercial. <laughs> I was. I even had to work in a couple of them during summers, just to you know, because nice. he wanted me to so badly. But honestly, I think all of it was kind of brewing inside of me. And like God does, I just took one step after the next. I love psychology classes and then knew that I had to go to grad school, ended up at Vanderbilt and fell in love with Nashville. And then I interviewed with Melissa Trevathan, who is my boss still, and was teary through the whole interview. Like, this is what I always wanted to do. And I didn't even know it existed because Daystar is where I'm a counselor is very much professional counseling, but it's really relational. I mean, we're in a house, we have dogs on staff. And I think the kids would say I'm as much their mentor as I am their counselor. And so it just feels like the perfect union of all of those things that I think God really designed me to do. And I'm so grateful to have landed here. All right. So let's dive in. You've written this book called Brave. It's specifically for teenage girls and it's talking about stress and anxiety, whatever. Let's just take a second to unpack this for us. Why did you write this book and what is it all about? Well, so pre-pandemic, we were looking at one in four kids were dealing with anxiety with girls twice as likely. And so, and the average age of onset was eight, and then we were seeing it drop to about six. Hmm. And so before, you know, 2019, I was seeing more elementary age girls who were dealing with anxiety than anything else. They just were coming in in droves in my counseling office. And so I ended up writing this book for elementary age girls called Braver, Stronger, Smarter, and one with it for parents called Raising Worry-Free Girls, because those were kind of the two groups I was most concerned about. Really, I was most concerned about the girls, but I felt like we're only going to help the kids if we help the families and the parents too. So I ended up writing both of those books pre-pandemic. And then when the pandemic started, and y'all probably experienced this some in your own family, but it was fascinating because the little girls that I'd been seeing that were so anxious were all of a sudden on Zoom calls with me for counseling, and they were hopping on with their stuffed animals, and you know they would tell me stories about baking with their moms and going on walks with their dads, and I think they felt secure and free in a way that they hadn't in a long time, and so the anxiety was really at least initially better for them. But the population I was most worried about were adolescents because, you know, they just they come to life around their peers. And so all of a sudden they were really isolated 
statistically now we're looking at one in three teenagers dealing with anxiety. And so I honestly wrote this book in about 10 weeks because I just, that was the population I was most concerned about. And I thought I got to do something for these kids that are struggling so much. So, and of course we were all at home. So I just started cranking out this little book because I wanted to help. And progressively that anxiety I was seeing in them then is now spilling over into more and more depression because I think of the isolation and, you know, now the suicide rates are going up among kids. So I'm so grateful to have this out there just as a resource. I wish I could counsel, you know, or Daystar that we could get our kids on our hands on more kids to help, but we're one little house in the middle of Nashville. So it felt like a way to extend something to offer kids all over girls, particularly. That's so wonderful. I, I want to just take a step back for a minute and define what we're talking about when we say anxiety. Yeah. What's the definition that you like to use? So uh, the definition I came up with, I did a lot of research for those, all three books, but the definition I kind of landed on was anxiety is an overestimation of the problem and an underestimation of themselves. Hmm. So that's kind of big picture what I would say about anxiety. But as a, as a therapist where I would recognize it with kids, you know, we have fear that comes around with the object we're afraid of. Then I would say worry is a little more pervasive and we can worry anticipatorily. That's not a word, but we can worry. With oh, I love it. I, I'm writing okay. that one down. Sure. It's yeah. going in my vocabulary. Yeah. Definitions. Yeah. And then the way that I always describe it with kids is, you know, we all have thousands of intrusive thoughts a day. They pop in, but kids can't get them out or adults. We can't when we have anxiety. So it's like the one loop roller coaster at the fair. And there's something that pops in their head. Like, I hope something bad doesn't happen to my mom. Oh no, something bad's going to happen to my mom. What's happening to my mom right now? You know, and it just loops and loops and loops and they can't make it stop. So that would be how I would characterize specifically anxiety. So, I mean, I'm honestly blown away by the ages that you were sharing. You know, you're just like, wait a second. Hold on. Six. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm like out eating and throwing mud at my brother at six. You know, I'm like. (laughs) Right. Right. What? So can you just please tell me why in the world are we talking about six, seven, eight year olds dealing with this right now? You know, we don't have that down to an exact science. I would say there are a few things that kind of come together to create it. One is I do think we are living in an intensity and a pressure that none of us were living in when we grew up. I mean, some of it is academically, I think there's more pressure for kids than there's ever been. Athletically, there's more pressure than there's ever been that starts really young. All the different activities, all the things, you know, we got to come home from school and just play outside. And now... I have kids who don't get home till 8 p.m., even in the pandemic, you know, from dance that lasts for four hours or whatever it is. And so I think we are overstructured and overscheduled as a world today. I think that's part of it. Technology, there are a lot of links between not even just social media, although that definitely exacerbates it, but just technology in general and kids, that's a part of it. And then y'all, I mean, I I always want to say, which I want to say it so graciously, but as a parent, if you have anxiety, your kids are seven times more likely to have it themselves. Wow. And the two most common parenting strategies of kids with anxiety are escape and avoidance. And so as a parent who loves your kids, they come into this distressing situation. And of course, what you want to do is snatch them up out of it so they're not in distress. And that only makes the problem worse because back to that definition, anxiety is an overestimation of the problem 
and an underestimation of themselves. And if I pull them out, I'm saying, yuck, it's too big and you can't do it. And so then they don't believe they're capable. So I do think we are often making the problem worse without ever intending to. So let's, okay. So now every parent listening is like, oh no, Panicked. I'm, I know, I'm sorry, I'm my sorry. Kid. <laughs> No, but t- so talk to the parents. What are some steps that we can take first within ourselves to overcome the stress and anxiety so that we don't leak that out onto our kids? I love that you asked that question. Cause I think that's probably the most important thing we can do for kids with anxiety is to manage our own because right. They, like one of the studies that I read talked about how anxious parents even use more catastrophic language. Like that sounds horrible, you know, not intending to again, but it, so there are all these ways. There's even scientific things called mirror neurons going on in their brains that they're mirroring your words and your actions. So I think the best thing we can do is to do our own work as adults who love kids, be aware of what's going on inside of us. And, you know, there are kind of three steps I start with kids with anxiety, but I would say with parents, there are really practical things you can do at home to manage your own stress, like breathing. I mean, as simple as that is, that's my go-to with grownups or kids. You know, when we're, when any of us are feeling anxious, part of what's happening, well, when we're feeling calm, we have blood flowing all throughout our brain, including going to the prefrontal cortex, which helps us think rationally and manage our emotions. When we get really anxious, the blood vessels in our brain constrict. It shifts the blood flow back to the amygdala, which is the fight or flight, which is why parents will say, my child's like a crazy person when they're (laughs) in that place. And then we become like one too. And amygdala speaks to amygdala and we're Mm -hmm. all just, nobody's getting anywhere healthy or productive. And so for everybody to take a moment and do some breathing, you know, I always have kids do what we call square breathing, where they just draw a square on their leg and breathe different directions with each line of the square, pause in the corner for three seconds, 20 seconds of deep breathing resets the amygdala. So just even doing that. So starting there as a parent, taking time out, breathing so that you can come back and have rational conversations, I think is really important. That's huge. I'm going to have to look up amygdala. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> got my my lesson today my science lesson today I like yes. it yeah um, you know I shared before the show you know obviously we are uh, we are parents of five children and now a golden retriever puppy we might have to have a counselor uh, about that <laughs> but we'll save that for a different book the next one <laughs> but uh we have a amazing son at the top of the charts you know he's 15 years old he's great but I want to take a second and just kind of hone in on the girls yes you know 12 nine, almost six and three. And as a dad of these beautiful angels, I mean, I'm sure you talk to many moms and dads, but what what can the dad do in a role like this in the life of these sweet girls to help with this situation? Well, you are vital to the process. Another, I mean, I I really could quote research all day long because I did so much for these books. But one of the other things that I read that I thought was interesting was that in most families, there is one anxious parent and one non-anxious parent. And the non-anxious parent usually gets dismissed. Mm -hmm. Like that parent's not paying enough attention or they didn't notice whatever it was. They didn't see it. They're not on top of it in the same way. And I think typically, Typically, not always, but typically in my counseling office, the non-anxious parent is the dad. Now, sometimes the roles are reversed and it's the mom, but usually it's the dad. And I think as women, 
we live with a lot of intensity and men just don't in the same way. And so you bring this playfulness and this adventurousness just out of who you are so often that is really important for kids, but especially for girls. And girls tend to blame themselves for pretty much everything. Women tend to blame themselves for pretty much everything. And so I think we take ourselves so seriously out of that. And you you can bring a lightheartedness to the table that I think is, is really life-giving for them. And so to be able to, now I, I don't, I want to say that, but being aware of that, I do think the older that kids get, the more they can feel dismissed. And so I think starting with empathy is always really important where they feel heard. You know, I can tell you're really sad about that, or I hear you that you're worried and you know what, you're going to be okay. I'm with you in it. You got this, you know, just messages like that over and over for them, I think is really helpful. And you have a unique voice in contributing to that. Now, as I say that, I'm sure there are single parents who are listening. And so it can be that you pull in a different man in your life, an uncle, a grandfather, a youth director, a coach, somebody else like that who can do the same in terms of messaging. And I think we can create a balance within us. And so I don't, I would never want somebody to hear that and think, oh no, their dad doesn't live with them or he's not involved. And so we're lost and that you're not lost. Pray for other men that can step in. And I see that happen all the time in my counseling office. Yeah, you don't want to get anxious about that. Right. right. <laughs> well, okay. Let's, yeah. let's not get anxious about that as well. Yeah. Sissy, so. yeah. what are some of the signs that we can look for in our kids to really recognize stress and anxiety and know when it's time to step in and help them with that issue? I think it depends on the age. A lot of times, probably the three main ones I would say one is anger, which, you know, psychologists would say anger is always a secondary emotion. So something else is fueling it. And a lot of kids, a lot of parents that I will see in my office are there because they're talking about how often their kids are erupting. And the more we talk, the more it's times of transition or unpredictability. And they don't have the words to say, it makes me anxious when you change my schedule at the last minute. Mm -hmm. And so it comes out as anger. So a lot of anger eruptions that follow some kind of pattern would be one. I would say another are tummy aches or headaches. Like if your child is having a lot of physical issues that there's no explanation for, and especially kids who are perfectionistic, they're going to a lot of times internalize that. And so it's going to come out that way. And then the third are really endless questions. So kids who, before they fall asleep, say, tell me what our plan is tomorrow. What's our schedule like? What are we going to be doing? Wait, will you tell me that again? And then again, if it, if it gets thrown off, they're really thrown off. So that's kind of a reflection of that one loop roller coaster at the fair, the endless questions. And research says we should never answer more than five about the same topic because it's never about that topic anyway. Mm. It's more about worry. And so we want to give them tools to deal with it instead. That's really good. So what are some good questions that we can ask of our kids to help connect with them and in a way that's not feeling interrogating towards them? Well, I would say every family needs a feelings chart somewhere in their house and that kids before they can read, yes, can even point to a little face and on our website, raisingboysandgirls.com. Okay. Download. But, but I think to pass around, I, I feel like for families, I mean, talking about healthy practices, I think even for families to pass around a feeling chart at the dinner table, everybody picked three things you felt today because kids who feel anxious are often pleasers. They're really conscientious. They try really hard. And so they don't feel like they can talk about anger or even disappointment. And Mm -hmm. so the more they can process those feelings in healthy ways, 
the less they're going to shoot out sideways. And so I think that's one of the big ones is helping them find their way to that. Tell me what you've been feeling today. What was school like? I mean, kind of basic questions we would ask anyway. And if they're looping about one specific thing, one of the things that I have kids do a lot of times is name their worry, come up with like with little ones, I have them call it the worry monster. With older ones, I call it the worry whisperer in the brave book because that's what it feels like it does. And for any of us, the voice we have in our heads, we interpret as truth. And kids, especially, and when we can separate it out, it takes away some of the power. So what's the worry monster been telling you lately? You know, what's worry whisperer saying to you? And then they can verbalize it and you can help them learn to talk back to it, which is a really important tool. That's really good. I was talking with one of our daughters. I won't say which one, but I was talking with one of our daughters Um, And just asking her about this topic, like what, you know, I just said, we're jumping into this interview about teen anxiety. Like, what does that look like in your world? And and it was so interesting to be like, you know, not that I deal with this, but all my friends, here's what my friends deal with, (laughs) which ended up being a great conversation starter because I wasn't saying like, tell me what you're dealing with. It was like, Hey, just what's it like to be a teenager and what do you see? And that for some reason, it just like let her guard down and she was able to share what she sees instead of like putting her on the spot. I think that was really helpful. Yeah. But I would love to know when you, you know, you're, so you're counseling all these teen girls and giving them things to try at home that help give them some tools to deal with this stress and anxiety. What are some of the top things you've seen that actually work? I'm sure parents listening are like, okay, just give me like two or three things I can do right now this week with my kid that you've seen have some fruit in your practice? So the first one would always be that idea of breathing because basically nothing else is going to work if they're already, if the worry's already taken off and their amygdala's taken over. So we got to calm that down. So that would always be first. And then the second would be what in cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the most commonly used practice to treat anxiety, would call grounding techniques, because if you're anxious, you're kind of spinning off. You're not really in the present moment. And so grounding basically kind of grabs them by the ankles and pulls them back down. So my favorite one is five, four, three, two, one. So they're looping about whatever it is. They've done the breathing. And now as a parent, you would say, okay, tell me five things you see. So, you know, if y'all were to do it right now in your room, you would look around and pick five things that you see. Tell me four things you hear. Tell me three things you feel. Tell me two things you smell. Tell me one thing you taste because anything sensory related is grounding Mm -hmm. for kids. And so that's a really practical one. Also, you know, tell me everything that you see that's the color red or with older kids, I'll have them count backwards from a hundred by sevens, which is hard and requires focus for any of us, you know, (laughs) but math problems, something like that. I'm (laughs) I'm stressed out. I can't count. Anxious about the math. Yeah, but anything that requires focus is going to pull them out of the loop. And then that's when we would want them to talk back to worry. So for little ones, you know, they get to use words they might not necessarily use otherwise, like your stupid worry monster. I'm not going to listen to you. You're not the boss of me. For teenagers, like I have high school kids who will name their worry. I mean, hilarious things like Agnes and they'll even tell their friends about it. And the friends will say, it sounds like Agnes is bothering you. And they'll say, that's right, Agnes, you leave me alone. I'm not going to listen to you. And the cool thing about that is because anxiety is often really tied to temperament, it's these conscientious, really bright kids. What happens is it pops up in one way when they're eight. And then 
you know, right about the time parents will typically say, I think this might, there might be more to this fear then it's going to pop up. It's going to go away and then pop up in another way and then go away. It kind of comes up like whack-a-mole over the years. Mm -hmm. And so the same tools work no matter how it manifests. So that way you can say as a parent, okay, it sounds like the worry monster's back. What worked last time? Because we're going to go back to those same tools this time. So breathing, grounding, and then naming it and talking back to it would be my first three. That's like three months of counseling right there. <laughs> Sweet. Dang, y'all. Awesome. You didn't even have to pay a bill for that. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Okay, look, today during our time, I've gotten some science lessons. Yes. Um, you know, I've also taken yeah. away that math. Oh, boy. That worked it. And I've learned that I won't answer the sixth question. I'll just tell my right. children and everyone else, look, you've asked five. <laughs> That's all you're getting because That's the sixth doesn't matter. It's not really what it's about. So I'm going to take right. that away with me That's here. That's really good. But I want to ask good. you with this yeah. project, what is your hope for the families and the girls and the, you know, even boys as well, whoever jumps into this project and they get to devour the information and take it in their life, what's your hope for them when they put it down? Well, I think for girls particularly, it's so, you know, it's to have been counseling this length of time and to see the shifts that have happened with kids. I have never seen girls feel as little sense of empowerment as I do today which is fascinating because I think we're trying to globally say the opposite, but I feel like they don't feel capable at all. And so I think not only was the book written from a really practical standpoint, give them tools, which I think are in there, but also for them to have a sense of confidence in who God's made them to be and in who they're becoming. Like I can do this. I'm capable. And to drive some confidence, not just from their ability to beat their worry, but really from their identity in Christ. And so that sense of groundedness would be what I would want them to shut the book with. That's so good. I love it. I That's love great. That. Okay. Well, this has been awesome. A lot yes. of fun. Well, y'all Before are so we... fun to talk to. Well, yeah. <laughs> you as well. I see why everyone recommended you so highly. Absolutely. <laughs> well, before we wrap, we always like to ask three questions. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> dun, dun. I want dun, to... dun. <laughs> All right. First one's pretty easy. It's a softball toss. Uh, what's a book that's changed your life? You know, I'm going to go way back because I think it's the book that really piqued my interest in counseling. So it has changed really the trajectory of my life. It's an old book by an author, psychologist named Larry Crabb called Inside Out. And that's one of my favorite books of all times. We've actually gotten that answer before, actually. Really? Yeah, yeah we have. That's so cool. um, we need to look that one up. Okay. The second question is, what's a habit that's changed your life? Could you call having a dog a habit? <laughs> Absolutely. I could call it I mean, something. Yeah. I don't know. Something. I could call it a habit. We've got one of those now. And yeah. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. It's easier to say it's a habit probably when my dog's 12. But but yeah. I think having a dog has changed a lot for me. Just in, And I think even as we talk about tools to deal with anxiety in kids, I mean, puppies, mm. y'all are in the more anxiety phase. <laughs> but there is so much about petting a dog that yeah. just slows us down, calms us. It really changes the course, the chemistry of our brain. I won't go into that again, but I think there's so much research out there about that, about dogs. I think they're so important for all of us and maybe other pets do the same thing. I'm a dog person, so I would lean towards dogs, but so I would say playing with my dog, taking my dog for a walk. She goes to work every day and helps me counsel kids. So she's a great extension of what I get to do. That's a great habit. What kind of dog do you have? She is a Havanese 
Okay. So she's little, she's a little easier to maintain than a golden retriever. Yeah. <laughs> Manage. Yeah. Yeah. Potty training in the snow with a golden retriever. Oh, not my favorite thing, but no, <laughs> it's going to get better. I'm told. Yeah. <laughs> it will get better. Bought it for so many years, sissy. Yes. But we finally caved, but it's well, a good you, one. You're hearing a counselor say, I think yep. they're really important for kids. And so that's good. Great choice. If that's affirmation. <laughs> it is. It's confirmation. We'll potty take it. Training. We'll All right. It. Last question. What advice would you give to the younger you? Oh, the younger me. I think I would say follow your gut and that often our guts are led by the Holy Spirit, even when we don't know it. Mm. And so I think that would be that that is something. And I think even thinking about girls not feeling very empowered, that's something I always want them to have is that sense of intuition yeah, and a connectedness to that. And I think they don't trust it so often. And I, I didn't for a long time. And so I think that would be it. That's so good. I love love it. it. All right. Well, where can people stop you online and follow you and all that good stuff? (laughs) So our website is racingboysandgirls.com. And then I'm trying to be currently really active on Instagram just because I feel like everybody's really overwhelmed and struggling. And so Raising Boys and Girls, but then my own account, which is just Sissy Goff. I mean, weekly I'm doing videos about anxiety and different skills and things we can do to help. And so just trying to be out there as much as possible. When this pandemic's over, I'm going to go to bed for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Amen, right? We all are. I know. this weird anxiety circle of like, I have to get on social media. Social media stresses me out. I need to help people out. (laughs) I need to get on social media. Right? Yeah. There's a balance. You got to balance it. That's awesome. Well, we'll we'll link to all of those in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here with us today. This was such an honor to be with y'all. Fun to be with you. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We hope this episode blessed you and we'd love to hear from you. Take a minute, leave us a review on iTunes, hit us up on our website, letsliveitwell.com or come find us on social media. We love hearing how these conversations are speaking to you. Also, you can find all the info for today's episode, all the books and links mentioned in our show notes over at our website, letsliveitwell.com. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. We're going to close this show out like we always do. Remember, you only get one life. Live Live it it well. well.